the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. You may know his story from the popular movie The Rookie that starred Dennis Quaid. Today's guest Jim Morris was a high school teacher and baseball coach who wanted to motivate his team. He told the boys, if you win a district championship, I'll go try out for a major league baseball team. The bet was born, and with it, so was The Rookie. Jim's players won the district championship, and Jim fulfilled his end of the bet. He went to a tryout and threw 12 consecutive 98-mile-per-hour pitches. Three months later, 35-year-old schoolteacher Jim Morris was striking out major league hitters in front of his high school players and family. The movie The Rookie won the ESPY for Sports Film of the Year, and Sports Illustrated voted it one of the five greatest baseball films ever made. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here with you, Joan. You know, Jim, your movie, The Rookie, I've always loved it. It's it's one of my favorites. Being a, a professional baseball player was something that you always dreamt about doing. But you settled in as a high school teacher. What was your life like before you became a teacher? And, and did you always want to play professional ball? From the age of five, I wanted to be a professional ball player. I didn't even know that I got paid at that time. I just <laughs> thought, hey, if I get a hot dog and a Coke, that's cool. And, uh you know, the movie displays the relationship between my father and myself as being kind of rough. It was actually a lot worse than that. It was more about the kids in the movie than it was about my parents. So uh, early on, I had a rough childhood and was told I wasn't good enough and I would never would be. And, and so I was hard on myself and therefore uh, talked myself out of a lot of dreams when I was younger, including educationally. And so I had to learn at a later age that dreams can come true. You know what's interesting, Jim? Someone had written an article for our our digital magazine, and in the article, they wrote about how, you know, we spend our entire lives with ourselves. We should be the person we know the best, that we love the most, and yet we look for all of this external validation, and you just spoke about the impact of harsh words. And isn't it interesting how we allow those externals to really dominate who and what we are? Oh, it's amazing. When I look back now, I'm a completely different person uh, then before I coached those kids, uh, I would let those voices creep in and take over. And and now when I get tired or something, I'll, I'll hear them and I can just go, you know what, that stuff's not true. I know exactly who I am and what I'm doing. But for a lot of us, those words become imprinted on us and we start to believe. And, you know, I tell people in the audiences, you can live up to or down to expectations put upon you. For the first part of my life, I live down to expectations. This part of my life, I'm trying to live up to expectations. Jim, one of the interesting things for me about your story is that you made this bet with these boys, and what your end of the deal was was to go out and do something that would make you completely uncomfortable and something that you didn't believe you would be able to accomplish. So why did you hold up your end of the deal and go to that tryout? I went to that tryout because of my the relationship I had with my grandfather. When I was 15, my parents moved me from Florida uh, to Texas to play high school football. So our coach didn't even allow high school baseball then. But for those three years, I lived with my grandparents, and I got to watch the way a loving, nurturing couple lives. And they taught me how to be a good human being. They gave me lessons every day. And one of those lessons was if you ever make a promise, you keep that promise. 
because when you pass away, you're going to be remembered for one thing. Did you live up to your word? And those kids had nobody to believe in. And for me to back out of that bed at that time after they had done something nobody thought they could do just because I thought I couldn't do something, that was wrong, and I needed to go to that tryout. And I did, and when I went, I was blown away. I mean, those kids were absolutely right. Jim, when you made that bet, did you believe that they could win the divisionals, or did you just think it would be something to light a fire under them and see what happens? I was just trying to change the direction. They had heard another coach talking about them an hour before practice one day, saying that they were never going anywhere. They were all losers. They were all, never get out of that little town. And, you know, it spread through my team like wildfire. So at the start of 1999, our first two games were 15-1 to and 15-0, to and we weren't the ones with 15. And so I had to change something. And what it came down to was a challenge. And the kids said, well, if you want us to chase our dreams, then you have to, too. And I just threw it out there, and I said, all right, you guys win a division championship. I will go out, and I will try it again, even though I knew I'd already been told I would never pitch again because of the surgeries. I made the bet, and I was willing to put myself out there and go to a tryout and embarrass myself just to help those kids know that an adult believed in them. So, Jim, you went to the tryouts. What was going through your mind that day? It's going to be the most embarrassing thing I've ever been through in my life. I mean, I can't even, by this time, the kids are hitting me all over the park. I can't even get high school kids out, and I'm going to a tryout with some major league scouts, and I'm going to try to impress him. I thought, you know what, I'm going to pitch as quickly as possible, get my kids back in the car and drive home and try to get away and tell my kids, you know what, I did it, and I was right. But I wasn't right. They were. So, Jim, for somebody who's sitting home right now that wants to try something that truly believes it will be the most embarrassing thing they will ever do in their life, what would you say to that person? You want to wake up in 20 years from now and ask yourself, what if? I mean, that is the big question. That was my question when I found out I threw 98. I knew I'd failed all those times before when I was supposed to be young and talented. Now I wasn't supposed to be talented anymore. What would I do if I'd have said no? I never would have found that out. I never would have known. You don't know until you actually get up and try. So don't wake up one day and ask yourself, what if? And I always say to people that, really, I've gotten rid of the word failure from my life because when I go out and speak, I tell someone to try it because let's say, Jim, you went to this tryout and let's say what you thought was going to happen happened. It was the most embarrassing event or day of your life. So you went home. Would your life be any different than it was the day before? If you didn't try you would have had that regret for the rest of your life. But if you try and maybe it doesn't work out the way you wanted, how did you fail? I I mean, that's what I tell people. There's no such thing as failure. It's just um, your life would be exactly as it was before you went to the tryout. So you have to go for something. Absolutely, you had to go for something. If I would not have gone, I would not have known, and maybe those kids would not have found out that they could accomplish whatever they wanted to. Joan... Every kid on that team except one, nobody played baseball after high school, but every kid except one got a college degree, owns their own businesses. I have a kid flying helicopters for the Coast Guard, and they have their own families now. And they, they all live all across the country. And that is just amazing to me that those kids learned that. And I was the person who was able to push them, and they pushed me back. You know, we're talking about you going on and becoming a Major League Baseball player and following your dream, but I think what you just said is such a powerful aspect of your story. It's how one man can touch the lives of so many others, and that's what we forget. Every one of us has the power to influence and impact others in such a profound way, and we don't see that, I don't think, often enough. We don't see that, and the profound way can go either way, either negative or positive. And once I got the negative stuff out of my life, uh, the positive took over. And because of those kids, now I know anything's possible. So, Jim, you got the call. What was the next step after the tryouts? I signed a minor league contract. I took a pay cut from teaching to play minor league baseball. And, you know, I'm grading science papers in May of 1999. In September of 1999, I'm in the ballpark in Arlington pitching against the Texas Rangers uh, because of a group of high school kids. How long did you play in the majors? I played for two years. I came back for a third year. We're getting ready to film the movie. I was going through a, a bad marriage, 
and I went home. My son called me during spring training with the Dodgers and said, Dad, when are you coming home? An hour later, I was in my car with everything packed, and I was on my way home. I went home and got my kids, and we went to the movie set. So you got this call that they were going to film this movie with Dennis Quaid playing you. How did that feel? I mean, was this surreal? Did you even think that this was a possibility? Uh, it was. It's still. It's still surreal. You know, there were there were points when I look back now, like the time, the day that Dennis signed the contract. I went over to his house in Brentwood, and we played catch in his front yard. I mean, you look back at stuff like that, and you're like, "Did I do that? <laughs> I mean, this guy's made 60 movies. I'm playing catch with him in his front yard. Are you kidding me?" And so, yeah, it's been surreal. I mean, still surreal if you sit back and think about it. Was his portrayal of you accurate? Did he really get a sense for what you were going through at that time? Everybody seems to think so. So, yes, ma'am, he did. What do you say to someone who says that he or she is too old or not talented enough or has a million excuses that they've developed? And age is usually one that most people use when they want to follow a new dream. So what do you say about that age factor? Age doesn't matter. I've had people come up to me in different venues around the world telling me that they've seen my movie or they've heard me speak at one point and they've come back to tell me that they've changed their lives. I had one lady come up and she was a waitress uh, who had served this breakfast, professional breakfast deal I did in California. And she waited till everybody was gone. She came up to me crying, hugging me. And she goes, I went through a divorce the year your movie came out. I watched it. I graduated medical school last month, and this is my last week to work here, and I got to see you and tell you thank you. You were given a second chance in life, and, and we've been talking about it. You grabbed it, and, and we've been discussing how important it is for people to go out and follow their dreams. But what about the person that really feels like they've, been on the wrong path. They've just made such a mess of their life and they're trying to get a second chance. What do you say to someone about second chances? Second chances are always possible. I mean, for me, it was a third, fourth, and a fifth chance that finally took hold. And it was a group of kids who pointed that out to me. Uh, there's never a reason to give up, even when things look overwhelming and obstacles get in your way. Don't let things stand in your way. You sit back for a little bit, you make a plan. And you go after that plan, and that's what I tell the kids I teach baseball lessons to today. You make a plan, you stay with the plan, and you work your plan. And then you go after it, and you see what happens. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, that's fine, too, because at least you know that venue is closed off, but it may open up the door to something else you didn't even know was there. Jim, you're a motivational speaker, and you go out and you talk to groups all over the world. And what are some of the steps that you teach people to really focus on a new direction or a path, getting from point A to point B in their life? I think the most important lessons are the ones that my grandfather taught me. Uh, family, uh, faith, and taking care of other people before yourself. And I think if you give back, then you're going to receive tenfold in return for that. And you know, I can't say it any more justly than this. I got that from those high school kids. When I gave them everything I had, they gave me everything they had. And so the lessons that I take, the number one lesson would be from my grandfather. Remember who you are and where you came from and go from there. In the beginning of the interview, you spoke about the difficult relationship you had with your father. Was it easy to forgive him? And if you were able to, did it free you? Absolutely, it freed me. And it took me a long time to come to that point. But I had I have had to learn to forgive him for me, uh, not forgive him for him, but forgive him for me so that I could move on with my life. If someone's sitting home right now going through a difficult family situation, what would be your advice to that person to make the first step to change those dynamics? Uh, be introspective. Look at yourself and see what there is about yourself that could be wrong or not be wrong and take an inventory of the positives and negatives of the relationship. And you just got to move on from there. If that doesn't work, then you get professional help. Um, I'm not afraid to say that I had to do that. And it worked. You know what? Those negative feelings are gone. And I can look at my life in a whole new light, and I see positives everywhere I turn. And never, ever give up. 
Jim, you spoke about how when you were playing ball with Dennis and, and you just couldn't believe that this is the direction your life had taken. What does it feel like, truly feel like, to have been someone that has had the opportunity to live out his dream? Um, I guess it would be wrong if I didn't say it was amazing, but I really don't look at myself in that way. I look at myself as someone who was pushed by a group of kids to do something he didn't think he could do and accomplished it. I attribute my dreams to my kids, my high school kids. The kids supported you through this. Did you tell anyone else that you were going to this tryout? I did tell my father. So my son, my dad, my high school kids were the only people that knew. And did everyone support you, or how did your father react? Uh, actually, he was a little bit supportive. He just he goes, well, you're old. I said, I know. <laughs> so he just kind of went from there and laughed about it and moved on. You know, and I, I asked that question because... I know way back when, when I was starting this, that I had, majority of people were behind me, but there was one voice. One person had said that I was making a fool of myself, and throughout the entire process, 99 people can say something positive, but it's that one person that you listen to. So that's why I asked about your father. So he, actually, he did support you in a way, which, was that, did that surprise you? It did surprise me. It was after the fact that I signed the contract and I was going to play that my, my now ex-wife uh, did some newspaper articles telling people that she was the one with her feet on the ground and I was living in the clouds and and all kinds of stuff. She didn't believe in me. But my high school kids, my son, and my parents believed in me. And so that was good enough for me. So, Jim, how did this experience change your life? Did you go back to teaching or did it just catapult you in a totally different direction? It catapulted me in a totally different direction, although I've had job offers from from Major League Baseball down to college and high school levels, and, and you know, I got yelled at, cursed at, and screamed at the entire time I grew up, and that's not how I teach, and that's not how I coach. I talk to kids like they're human beings, and that's what they respond to, and so I've been successful at that. Jim, if we have any kids that are listening to this show, and if they're living in an abusive family situation what would you say to those kids to give them strength that they can get through such a situation maybe where they can seek some help uh your high school or or your school counselor at first and just the first thing you have to realize is it's not about you uh the problems that are caused between adults is not about the kids ever it's about the parents and so if you can get that in your head and you can go find the help um there's free psychological advice in almost every city that I know of, uh, you can go to your school counselor or um, a city counselor and, and talk to somebody. But, but talk to somebody. That's the important thing. Jim, if our listeners would like to get more information about you and your work, where can they go? Uh, JimTheRookieMorris.com. So that's JimTheRookieMorris.com. And as always, listeners can visit our website, CYACYL.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows as podcasts, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on Facebook. Jim, in our remaining moments, what would be the one thing you would like our listeners to walk away with from this interview? What's your most important message for them? Uh, my most important message, I think, is that nothing is impossible if you give it a chance. But if you're going to give it a chance, you've got to give it 100%, 100% of the time because you don't want to wake up one day and ask yourself what is. That is the most important thing. You go for it. If you're going to go for it, go for it. Jim, thank you so much for spending time with us today. As I said in the beginning, this is a very special show for me. It's about dreams. I followed mine. You followed yours. And I hope that there's someone out there listening to us right now that something we've said in this interview would excite and motivate them to move forward with something they want to accomplish in life. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Absolutely, Joan, and congratulations to you. Thanks so much, Jim. It was a pleasure meeting you, and I'd love to have you come back anytime. I appreciate that, Joan, and good luck. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or Google. Search for Conversations with Joan and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. to your health. Joining me today is Dr. Katherine Berndorf, co-founder and medical director of the Motherhood Center, a treatment center in New York City for pregnant and new moms experiencing anxiety and depression. She specializes in treating women before, during, and after pregnancy, as well as at other times of transition in their lives. Dr. Berndorf is an associate professor of psychiatry at Cornell. She was a regular mental health columnist for Self Magazine and has appeared on numerous television programs, including The Today Show, Good Morning America, MSNBC, and CNN. She is a co-author of the new book, What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy and Motherhood. She's here today to discuss... Mommy Brain. Welcome, Dr. Berndorf. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Catherine, I've heard the term mommy brain being used more and more. What does this mean? What is a mommy brain? For anyone who's ever had too much on their mind and felt scattered and overwhelmed and forgetful, that's kind of what it feels like. It's this idea that there's a fog and you feel slowed down and concentration is hard to find. So it's kind of like what I do on a daily basis, having my eyeglasses on my head and looking for them. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. This begins when we're pregnant, I'm assuming, and, and with childbirth. Does it ever end? No, never. I think I always, you know, say once a mother, always a mother. And that's not derogatory. In fact, it's a, an amazing thing to be able to say something like that. But guess what? You've just added another lane to the highway in your head. So I'll sometimes use the analogy with patients or friends. I'll say like, you know, if you're, when you're on your own, you're on a single lane and then you have a partner and now you've got a two lane highway or, or a divided road. And, and then you bring on a kid that add on another lane, they're in your mind and, and you just keep going from there. The idea is, is that you keep adding things to have to think about and remember and do and um, take care of. And they're always on your mind. They're always with you. Even if your kids, my kids say to me, you, you, you're not thinking about me. You, you're not considering my this or that. I'm like, you're always on my mind. You can't forget. You really, it's very hard to forget. And that takes up space and time and energy. And it doesn't make us dumb. It, in fact, expands the brain. We have to use more of our brain and grow parts of it that we may not have used before. So it's not that we're, we become less smart or we become cognitively impaired. I think we become potentially busier up there with more going on on our multi-lane highway that we're trying to keep track of at all times. So it's a particular state of being that is very um, kind of multitasking and busy. 
And when you add in all of the external forces like technology and social media and, you know, constant cell phone use and television 24 hours, and you put that on top of the family responsibilities and the children, it's very easy to understand overwhelm. Absolutely. It's like you're just surprised you can walk in a straight line. There's so many things you're you're thinking about at the same time. So it's not a comfortable state of being um, when we allow ourselves to become overwhelmed, which is an easy default place to live with a brain that's so full of things happening in there. Um, but what I always find as an antidote, right, that, that this is a, you know, when you let yourself go there, you realize how many things you are thinking about and that are going on up there in your brain. But like, I always think of it when I'm, when I'm seeing a patient and I'm sitting in the room and it's a singular experience and there's nothing else happening in the world except what's going on in that room between myself and the other person. I'm so focused. I'm so present in the moment. I'm in my flow. And it, it feels like the mommy brain part of my head that's otherwise almost always on is pushed aside a little bit. It's still there. I mean, if school calls or if the kids, you know, reaching out, they know how to find me. But for those moments that I'm singularly in the present, it, it's such a different experience. Like to me, that's, that's the opposite of the mommy brain, which is, you know, stuff going on all the time up there, right? Making you feel frazzled and, oh my gosh, there's so much to do and so much to get done. It's, it's, and, and so to me, the antidote is not just that you have to become a psychiatrist and see patients and only be in your office. It's that how do you create experiences that, that allow you to have that singular focus? Like that when you're with someone, that you can be present and available with them. Or when you're doing something, that you can have your, as much of your whole mind there in mm-hmm. that process. So how important is self-care in the process, proper nutrition, getting sleep? How does that play in with alleviating mommy brain? I think it's incredibly important, not just for mommy brain, but for everything mommy and everything person. You know, that that taking care of ourselves is not an act of selfishness. It's an act of self-preservation. And if we don't do it, who's going to do it? If we're not looking out for ourselves, who will be? And, and that's not to say, you know, me, 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 first, first, first. It is also true, though, that when we have all these other responsibilities, that we must take care of ourselves first, though, because we can't do these other things and be a focused, efficient, you know, person at work or, um, you know, happy mood in a relationship if we're not sleeping, right? Sleep is medicine. And if we're not sleeping enough, if we're not eating well enough because we're, you know, it's like grab and go as opposed to, you know, sitting down and being able to eat a healthy meal, whatever that is, those things are so essential to this kind of, to your foundation. And if you're not feeding yourself, literally and metaphorically, you're you're at a disadvantage. So I think the confusion and fogginess that can come with the the multitasking mommy brain is, is only made worse when you're not nourished sufficiently. And, you know, you and I were joking about it. And as women, we tend to joke about mommy brain and and being forgetful. But as you're saying, we as women tend to put ourselves at the bottom of the chain. And it's just so important to make sure that our well is full so that we can take care of other people. Right. And as as silly and and off-quoted as the, you know, airlines are with, you know, put your oxygen mask on before you put on, you know, the the child next to you or the person that help the person next to you. It's actually true, right? If, if, if you aren't okay, you're probably not okay to help somebody else either. The book is What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy and Motherhood. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Berndorf and her work, you can visit themotherhoodcenter.com. And as always, to hear more from Dr. Berndorf, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Catherine. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us and for helping us get rid of mommy brain. We've all had it. And these tips can go a long way in helping us cope and be a better caregiver to those we love. Thanks, Joan. We'll be right back. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, 
Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or Google, search for Conversations with Joan and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. With the coronavirus outbreak, the world as we know it has been rapidly changing. Schools and businesses are closed. Social distancing requirements have been implemented. Supermarket shelves are bare, and many are concerned about how they will pay their bills. Much has been shared on how to protect yourself from physical risk, but what about your mental health? Joining me today to discuss why it is so important to stay healthy mentally is Dr. Robert Bright, a Mayo Clinic psychiatrist who specializes in mood and psychotic disorders and psychiatric issues in the medically ill. Welcome, Dr. Bright. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Doctor, before we get into any of your recommendations, let's start off with why it is so important that we stay mentally strong. Well, this is an unprecedented time within our lifetimes, um, as obvious understatement, I think. And everyone is very stressed. There, there are folks who have struggled for a long time with mental illness, anxiety, and depression, and this is very difficult for them and people who were sort of subclinically going along, but this is, is overwhelming to them, and, and it's normal for anyone to feel anxious about what's going on, and it's so important that we nurture and take care of ourselves during this time so that we can approach it with a resilient attitude and get through this individually and together. Doctor, you just mentioned that it's normal to feel anxious. What are some other things that would be quote-unquote normal feelings, and, and what should be a red flag that there might be a problem? So the anxiety here is being stirred by what's unknown. We don't know exactly what to expect and what's coming, Um, and anxiety is a big component of that. And the other thing we need to be really mindful of and watching for is the possibility of depression, Um, the sense of loss of control and the sense of helplessness within the context of this can be a trigger for depression and people who are vulnerable to that. So to recognize that um, someone is drifting into those things, that they're feeling overwhelmed, that they're not sleeping, that they're having anxiety attacks, that they're having bad dreams, that they're ruminating and having intrusive thoughts and just going over and over this with this in their mind, or if they're really withdrawing from the people around them and they're crying all the time and feeling hopeless and worthless, lost, losing their appetite. Depression and anxiety are people. We're, it's a time of vulnerability to those things. And in New York, this just hits so hard and it's so prevalent and so overwhelming that I really want people to check in with themselves, both physically when you're, you know, checking your temperature and all of those things and keeping your social distance, but check in with yourself emotionally and psychologically as well. We've got to take care of ourselves. Doctor, what about our children? Their lives have been uprooted. They've been taken out of school, which was very social for them. There are no graduations, sporting events, proms are canceled. How can we best explain the situation to our children? You know, I think the first and most important thing I want to say is to be honest with them, to not um, hold things back because they're going to recognize that, but to do that in a way that's age-appropriate, using language that they can understand. For example, for a young child, you may say that, you know, there's this, this virus going around, just like colds go around, and sometimes people catch colds. And we need to be careful to take care of ourselves so that we don't get sick and make sure that if we have a cold, we don't get somebody else sick. And to use language like that that they can understand to really be open to their questions and invite them and to validate their concerns and fears as as real, to let them know that you are there with them for this, to not allow them to be constantly exposed to the media. This is 
very overwhelming for a child who really has no context for this and can't understand the images and the words that are on television. Be mindful if they're in the background as you're watching it. But limit that stuff and then bring it to them in a way that you can kind of present it to them and tell them, I'm going to keep you up to date. I'm going to let you know what's going on and bring it to them in a way that you can control and help manage um, their anxiety. I think it can be very helpful as well to establish ways in which they can be in some sense of control of this. So we're going to do what we can. We're going to listen to the doctors, and they're telling us what we can do to stay healthy and keep other people healthy. We're going to do the, the hand washing and the birthday song. Um, we're, you know, well, something you can do is cover your mouth when you sneeze or cough. That can help take care of, of other people when we're going through this. And, and I heard someone describe this, and I really loved it. Kids don't know what six feet is when we're talking about social distancing, but they know what a bicycle is. And I really love this because we can say, imagine a bicycle between you and that other person, and be sure to try to keep that distance between them. Now, this is for a situation where you can actually go out. I know in New York you guys are really more limited in that. But it's a good way of talking with kids and to use terms like that, just as an example of, of a way to talk to them and explain this in a way that they can kind of wrap their heads around and not be overwhelmed by it. And when you give them an action that they can do and you tell them that they're helping to solve the situation, does that make them feel more empowered? Yes, more empowered, more in control, and less overwhelmed. Absolutely, that's right. So the Mayo Clinic suggests that we follow six simple rules to help us navigate this terrain. Can you bring us through these six rules? Well, I sort of just touched on those, and those are those healthy habits of diet, um, getting adequate sleep, doing exercise, keeping a schedule, um, and organizing yourself so that there's a pattern to your day. The other thing I want to really emphasize is communication, to reach out, um, and there's two components of that. There's media communication for us adults. We were talking about the kids, but for ourselves, it's so overwhelming for us if we're sitting and constantly watching and seeing the images and hearing the stories. I find that for myself, and I found it to be really helpful, and I would recommend to other people to take that in manageable scheduled chunks. So once or twice a day, sit with that stuff for 15 to 30 minutes perhaps. Get the information that you need. Know what's going on without being so overwhelmed with it, and then within all of that, Find sources that you find to be reliable um, and independent and objective in the information you're getting, places, um, uh, media outlets without a political agenda or a sensationalistic, ratings-driven, scary-body agenda, to find a source that you can trust and doesn't fuel your own anxiety. And then with, uh, with other people, I'd say the same thing about communication. Um, find people who are nurturing and supportive for you and helpful for your anxiety and set limits or even distance yourselves from people who are just really cranking up and scaring you to death. And I heard this and I saw that and what if and all of that stuff. you got to kind of check in with yourself and recognize, is this helpful or is this not helpful? And the other um, thing I want to really emphasize there as far as those, those things you were referencing is refilling your own take, tank and taking care of yourself. We need to step back and to kind of modulate our anxiety and help um, ourselves manage this. So to do things like, um, you know, I'm old enough that I go back to the 80s and 90s, and I, pulling out that old music from back then that's familiar, I mm-hmm. find it to be really comforting and really familiar and to sing along or to whatever. It's just great. And I have a collection of DVDs, again, giving away my age there. But pulling out some old movies, um, some might be humor, might be a serious drama, whatever it was, but something I own in my library because I liked and I haven't watched in forever, and it's just really soothing and comforting. Um, Things like meditation, sitting and relaxing, doing deep breathing, bringing yourself into the current moment rather than getting lost into what could, might, should happen stuff that, you know, we don't really know and we can't control that. And um, approaching this with a degree of, of what's called radical acceptance that here we are and given where we are, what are we going to do? Here's the deck of hands. Here's the, the, um, the hand of cards we've been dealt. We didn't want it, but now we've got it. Where do we go from here? And what, what is in, as I said with the kids, what they can control? What's in our control that we can do to, to navigate our way through this, this difficult time? Doctor, is there a resource that you can recommend as a good source of information? Absolutely. So Mayo Clinic has some great resources. There's the Office of Patient Education, and there's also the Mayo Clinic News Network. I think those are good sources of information. The um, Anxiety and Depression Association of America has a website that I find to be really helpful. There's a website that I really like, and I would encourage um, people to take a look at it, called cyberguide.org. 
and that's PSY, like psychiatry, B-E-R, like a cyborg, P-S-Y-B-E-R, guide, G-U-I-D-E, dot org. And what that is, I have no affiliation with these folks. It's a, it's a guide to online our, um, smartphone apps and programs and uh, resources that, that help people with self-directed management of symptoms of depression and anxiety, mindfulness meditation. There's these things I'm talking about um, that you can do from home without having to leave um, and, connect, and do something in person. I think it's a great resource right now for people. The additional resource is the um, National Suicide Hotline and to reach out to somebody on by their local resources like that called warm lines where you can reach out and talk to somebody if you're in distress and certainly if you're having thoughts of self-harm please reach out to somebody and also our listeners can visit our website cyacyl.com because we have a lot of resources there as well doctor thank you so much for joining us and thank you for the work that you're doing and please be well thank you so much it was my pleasure thank you for having me we'll be right back When it comes to social media, have you planned to plan to make a plan? This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Why do we put off planning? Do we think the magical brownies are going to come and do a social media plan for us? If so, those brownies are so slacking. Planning involves content creation, timing, and posting, and then seeing how it interacts with your business. I highly recommend using a piece of paper or hop on your computer and just write out all the ideas you have for social media that are in your head. Walk away. Then come back and write some more. Don't worry about what you've just written. Don't worry if it's a brain dump. Just get the ideas on paper and get started. That's what's important. Once you've got everything down that you had in your head, see if common themes start to pop up. Maybe you like motivational quotes. Maybe you like to give advice. Maybe you want to teach or share your knowledge. Maybe you like to share jokes. These are all good starts. Then get out a calendar and start to put those down in an order. See how it lays out and if it seems to make sense to you. And don't forget to plan to talk about your business. If you need help with your social media for your business, give us a call. You can check out our website at smcventures.biz or visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Get social with Sue. Do you suffer from ingrown toenails? Hi, I am Dr. Anant Joshi, podiatrist practicing in Woodland Park, New Jersey at Advanced Foot Care of NJ LLC. Ingrown toenails occur when the toenail starts to grow into the nail groove. This can cause significant pain and discomfort. They may become infected if left untreated. Wearing badly fitting shoes usually causes ingrown toenails. The pressure from the shoes that are too narrow at the top or too tight from the side can put extra pressure on the toenails. Other causes that include toenails that are not trimmed properly, such as cutting the toenails too short or trauma to the feet due to activity including running. Having a family history of ingrown toenails can also increase a person's risk. There are several ways to treat and prevent ingrown toenails. Cutting the toenails straight across after a bath when the nails are soft. Avoid cutting the nails in a rounded pattern as it can increase the risk of inward growth. Wearing proper fitting shoes that do not have a pointy tip will prevent worsening of your ingrown toenail. If at-home care does not improve the condition, or if your toe becomes swollen, red, or painful, please visit a podiatrist who can provide the proper care, or even antibiotics. If you would like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com. Elton John said music has healing power. It has the ability to take people out of themselves for a few hours. Hi, I'm Allison Ayati, owner of Awaken Sound Health. The truth is, you don't need a few hours of good music to leave your troubles behind. Music is a language of interlaced tones that, when skillfully composed, can puncture the hardest heart, soothe the deepest sorrow, inspire hopefulness in the presence of despair, and bring joy and celebration into everyday moments. It can also be a means to stress reduction through relaxation and meditation. You need just one hour of music that is carefully crafted to get you there. At Awaken Sound Health, we induce relaxation and meditation for stress reduction through integrative sound healing, vibrational sound therapy, and sound baths. 
We use therapeutic instruments and combine the right tones with beauty and grace to evoke emotional release and the release of tension where it is held in your body. This in turn can greatly reduce stress and anxiety and bring you to a place of meditation. Sound healing is both an art and a science. At Awaken Sound Health, we are adept at both, but are particularly experienced in the art of sound healing. Even though music can take you out of yourself, it can also bring you back to yourself. You remember that person who was happy and free? Give us one hour and we'll help you find that part of yourself again. Book your appointment now at awakensoundhealth.com. Sound healing is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. Do you struggle to find the balance between elite performance and mental wellness? Hi, I'm Scott Doty, academic mentor, performance coach, and founder of Brainstorm Tutoring and Arts. And I often tell my students and my clients that wellness is the first step to achievement. When we say that we want to achieve at a high level and achieve peak performance when the stakes are high, whether that be on a big test and the admissions process for college or grad school, nailing the interview for the dream job, killing it on the big performance for your theater or your music or your sports, we always begin with wellness. And so we start with the basics, sleep, hydration, breath work, community, and positive self-talk. From the basis of incredible personal, emotional, mental wellness, we have the stability to build into our goals to achieve at our best performance level in whatever it is that we're performing and pursuing and endeavoring to kill and crush and dominate in. We begin with wellness and then performance follows. If you want to hear more about our holistic approach to elite performance, please check out Brainstorm's website, stormthetest.com. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a transformational life coach and reinvention expert who helps her clients move through life's challenges and transitions with purpose, passion, and clarity to emerge more powerful, fulfilled, and purposeful. Linda is here today to discuss how to manage setbacks. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joan. It's great to be back. So, Linda, this is a time of year when New Year's resolutions and intentions are often abandoned, and we feel discouraged and bad about ourselves. But setbacks are part of life all year through. So what do you recommend? What strategies do you offer to us to help us deal with setbacks? Well, you're right. This is a difficult time of year because so many of us have set New Year's resolutions. And statistics show that by mid to end of February, the vast majority of people have either given up on them or faced a setback. The first thing we should all know is that this is normal. Give yourself a little grace. But personally, I don't even believe in New Year's resolutions. I believe in New Year's intentions because resolutions are kind of black or white. You achieve or you fail. Intentions, on the other hand, are something you work slowly towards, fully realizing that detours and setbacks are normal along the way. So setbacks are just part of the process. We simply acknowledge the disappointment or setback and you continue working towards your intention. So the first part of the strategy is to acknowledge that setbacks are normal. Next is to allow yourself to feel the emotions that come along with the setback. Go ahead, get angry, express your frustration, disappointment, disillusionment, sadness. And like I said before, give yourself some grace. We're human, imperfect creatures. The third step is to recommit to your original goal. Check in with yourself and remember why you decided to pursue this goal to begin with. What were your reasons? What's the payoff, the value, the benefit to realizing your goal? Why does it matter? Write it down and reconnect with your true motivation. Next, recall what helped you create the success in the past. What made you feel good? Who's part of your support system? Once you've recommitted, the final piece is to take small steps. Break the goal into manageable pieces if you haven't already done so. I always say it takes many small steps to create big change. When you're facing a setback, it's even more important to create small, doable steps so you can find yourself back on the path to success more quickly. Now do one or two of those things on your list to get you back on track. This, in turn, will motivate you to do more. And here's the part that so many people forget about. It's 
super important to celebrate your successes, both large and small. This will inspire you to keep forging forward and to put the setback behind you. So it's really all how you look at it because setbacks can actually be helpful to us if we allow them to be. I believe so. Because once you've pushed past a setback with the steps just outlined and you find yourself moving forward again towards your goal, you now have a history of successfully moving beyond the setbacks. When the next disappointment, discouragement, or setback appears, it's less intimidating. And for some people, eh, it's even motivating. So you can say, aha, I've seen this before. I know how to get past this. I'm not going to let this trip me up. It's empowering to know that you've done it before and you can do it again. So setbacks no longer have the same power over you. They don't determine whether or not you reach your goal. Now it's your belief system, your belief in yourself, and your history of conquering setbacks that's in charge. Remember, setbacks are normal. And, you know, smooth waters never created a skillful sailor, right? So, Linda, when obstacles arise, in addition to recommitting and getting back on track, what else do you advise we do? Well, I think... Sometimes it's a matter of reevaluating. In the process of recommitting, we can reevaluate things, and sometimes we recognize that we need to change our direction to reach the goal. This is important. We need to think outside of the box. Sometimes people get so frustrated, they kind of throw their hands up in the air and just give up on their goal. And that's kind of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? So instead, perhaps it's time to change your direction and strategy to get to the end result you desire. Get creative and find a different angle or a unique way to get there. Looking at the situation from a fresh perspective, finding new solutions and directions can make all the difference. Same goal, new path. So long setback. Linda, thank you so much for joining us and for reminding us that setbacks are not the end of the road. If you would like to get more information about Linda and her work, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember, the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, Listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.